We continue with the Passion Reading tonight, part two. It's entitled Gethsemane. When they had sung a hymn, he went out, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. Then Jesus said to them, You will all be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Though all be offended because of you, yet will I never be offended. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that this night before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others said likewise. They went over the brook Kedron, and they came to the place which was called Gethsemane. And there was a garden there. And Jesus went into it with his disciples. Judas, who had betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And when he was at the place, he said to them, Sit down here while I go on ahead and pray, and pray that you do not enter into temptation. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and began to be full of sorrow and turmoil. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Wait here and watch with me. And he went on a little from them, about a stone's throw. And he fell on his face and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. An angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthened him, and he prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And in agony, he prayed even more earnestly, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And his sweat fell on the ground like great drops of blood. And when he got up from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, Jesus went away again the second time. And praying said, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, your will be done. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he left them, and he went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. Look, he is at hand who betrays me. And even while he was saying this, Judas, one of the twelve, came with a detachment 
and with officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They came to the place with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went out to them and he said, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him and had taken his stand with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. And again, Jesus asked them, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied, I told you that I am he. If I am the one you seek, then let these go away. And this was to fulfill the word he had spoken. Of those you gave me, I lost none. Now he that was betraying Jesus had given them a sign saying, The one whom I kiss, that is he. Seize him and be sure to take him away securely. And he went straight up to Jesus and he said, Hail, Master. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, Friend, why have you come? Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And they came then and they laid their hands on Jesus and they took him. And when those who were about him saw what would happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and he struck the high priest's ear and cut it right off. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus answered and said, Let it be. And he touched his ear, and he healed him. And then Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. All they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Do you imagine that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? The cup which my Father has given me, shall I not drink it? And then Jesus said to the chief priests and to the captain of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a thief with clubs and swords to take me? When I was with you day after day teaching in the temple, you did not lay your hands on me. But this is your hour and the hour of the power of darkness. And all this has happened, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples forsook him and fled. There was a certain young man who followed along. He had only a linen cloth about his naked body. They laid hold of him, but he slipped out of the linen cloth and he fled away naked. Then the detachment and the captain and the officers of the Jews seized Jesus and they bound him and they led him away to Annas first for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas who was the high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who gave counsel to the Jews that it was good that one man should die for all the rest of the people. Here ends the reading of the Passion account. Grace, peace, God's grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Amen. The text for this evening's message is from the book of Hebrews, the ninth chapter beginning at verse 15. Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death was occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all of the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant of God commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who shed his blood for you and me. A last will and testament, generally known as a will, is an instrument for the legal conveyance of an inheritance. In other words, a will is a way of ensuring that your estate is distributed to people and to organizations that you want your wealth to go to after you have died. Death is the key. For a last will and testament to be set in motion, the one who has made the will must die. And until his or her death takes place, the inheritance is not distributed. This is the point that the writer to the Hebrews is making in the text that I just read to you. Jesus has established his last will and testament which bestows on us the legacy of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But for this will to take place, for it to be enacted, means that the one who made the will, God himself, in the person of Jesus, must die. Quoting the Old Testament book of Leviticus, the author of the book of Hebrews states, without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness. Our text reminds us that even that first covenant was established by the shedding of the blood. What the writer to the Hebrews is referencing is God's covenant with the people at Mount Sinai, where God laid out all the terms of His will with His chosen recipients. And upon hearing all of the requirements of the covenant, the people of Israel promised all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And then Moses built this altar at the foot of the mountain, and he set up 12 pillars for the 12 tribes. And animals were sacrificed. They were slaughtered again and again for burnt offerings and peace offerings. Much animal blood was spilt that day. And Moses would take the blood of the animals and he put it into bowls 
And then half the blood Moses sprinkled on the altar. Some of the blood he sprinkled on other vessels that are used in the worship of God. And half of the blood was sprinkled on the people of Israel. As Moses proclaimed, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with his words. And with the shedding of that blood, the will, the last will and testament, if you will, of God came into effect. Yes, it was through the sacrificial blood of the sacrificed animals that God's covenant was sealed with his people. God bound himself to the people of Israel, and in turn, they bound themselves to him with their promise. Well, that was the first covenant. Jesus, as we heard in our text, is the mediator of a new covenant. This new covenant is not enacted by the blood of bulls or goats or lambs or turtle doves or pigeons, but it's inaugurated, if you will, enacted by the blood of God's only eternal Son. Jesus Christ, who was both the high priest and the sacrificial lamb, the scapegoat, offers himself as the sacrifice for us. He is the sin offering. He pours out his blood to atone for the sins of the whole world. And from his veins, the the flow of blood covers all sin, the sin of all people, making us pure and holy in the sight of our holy God. Our Lord's blood gives us an eternal inheritance. We read in our text, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom. Reverend John Pless former professor at the seminary in Fort Wayne, probably still teaches there from time to time, Professor Emeritus. He recounts the story of one of the oldest Lutheran churches in North America. Plus writes, Old St. Paul's Lutheran Church, located in North Carolina, was established well before the American Revolutionary War. One of the striking features about Old St. Paul's is not just its age, but the bloodstains that are still visible in the balcony. Plus continues, In the years before the Civil War, slaves were seated in that balcony, which at the time was called the Slaves' Gallery. The slave of a local plantation owner ran away, and he hid himself in that balcony, thinking that after midnight he would be able to make his way north and eventually find freedom. But as the story goes, the plantation owner was a man with a hot temper. And he searched and he searched for that runaway slave. And his search finally led him to the, to the church where he found the slave crouched under a pew in the slave's gallery. And there and then, he shot and he killed the slave. And the bloodstains on the pew and the floor remain to this very day. A reminder of blood shed long ago. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is more than a mere reminder of a past event in history. 
The blood that dripped from the hands and the feet of our Redeemer did more than simply stain the wood of a cross or redden the ground beneath that cross. The blood of Jesus shed for us on Good Friday assures us that Jesus is our substitute and that through the shedding of his blood, our sins, all of them, are forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's cross is the blood that Jesus gives to you and me as we come to the Holy Supper and we drink. It's the blood of the New Covenant, of the New Testament, poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we drink wine from that chalice or we drink the wine from the individual cups, we're not simply remembering a death that occurred a long time ago. It's more than just a simple memorial meal. When we drink from the cup of the New Testament, when we drink that wine at the Lord's Supper, we're drinking the very blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And it's being given to us as God's pledge and promise of life and salvation. And so, the death of Jesus sets in motion the last will and testament of our God. Yes, you and I, because Christ died for us, are assured that our sins are forgiven, and we have the gift of the Holy Spirit living within us, and we have God's sure and certain promise of everlasting life. Jesus' death on the cross his enactment of God's last will and testament guarantees to you and me everlasting life. That's his guarantee to us. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.